Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Ken Schmidt, CEO and founder of Turning Point Executive Search. Ken is a veteran of over 26 years in the recruiting industry. He launched Turning Point Executive Search in 2007, where he and his team have leveraged the high-touch recruiting services to place nearly 1,000 of the nation's leading sales, marketing, HR, and C-suite professionals in a variety of industries ranging from tech and software to healthcare and automotive manufacturing. In addition to leading Turning Point Executive Search, Ken is also an author, having recently released The Practical Optimist, an entrepreneurial journey through life's turning points, and he hosts the Practical Optimist podcast. And if that wasn't enough, you can also find Ken moderating numerous domestic and global leadership panels. While clearly passionate about leadership and helping individuals in their pathway to success, we've asked Ken to join us today on the HR Works podcast to tap into his expertise in the recruiting space and channel some of that passion, providing recruiting teams and their organizations with a path to their own success, navigating this modern talent marketplace. And one of those first big steps, building your employment brand. So without further ado, let's get Ken introduced here to the HR Works Podcast. We can dive into the employment brand. Ken, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Josh. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it is great to have you on. Great to have a fellow podcaster on as well. <laughs> let's get you started here and just introduce you to our audience of HR listeners and recruiting listeners. How did you find that spark that led you into a career in recruiting and talent acquisition? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Thanks. I always kind of chuckle because I, I actually got into recruiting by answering an ad in the newspaper back when there actually were ads in newspapers way back when. Um, but I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My dad was a jack-in-the-box franchisee in the fast food place, and I'd been working since age 14. My mom actually was in real estate, and so I got, got exposed to being kind of self-employed and the importance of, of not only hiring but also treating your staff you know, as, as good as possible, right? I mean, they are the backbone of your business. And, you know, traveling with my dad, getting all the training through the, the fast food places that, uh, that he worked at or that he owned and I worked at with him. You know, I think that was always kind of the spark in the very beginning was knowing that I was not destined for a desk job. Right. Um, I just I, I really find my, my passion and my excitement and my energy from interacting with other people. You know, either through podcasts like this, talking to you today or out in, 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 the, uh, in the real world, right, IRL, the real world, uh, and talking to folks on, on different panels and networking, those kinds of things. And so I wanted to find something I could do where I could manage people uh, and be in a leadership capacity as well. I actually started my career back in 1992, way back when, with Enterprise Rent-A-Car, uh, not because I, was, I had some passion for renting cars or washing cars. Um, but I really liked the fact that Enterprise was a great place to start your career. Um, they did a lot of great work for very young people to come up through their, their career ranks. And you were working with the public and working with other folks, you know, same age in your in early 20s um, on a daily basis. And I loved that. Uh, I did that for about five and a half years, moved up through the ranks, went from, you know, the rental side to car sales and got to manage a good sized team. I had a team of, you know, 10 people and uh, an inventory of about 120 cars at age 24 and just loved it. Uh, then, of course, my first son was born and working seven days a week, not quite as exciting anymore. Right. And that's when I answered an ad in the paper and, and for a recruiting company and just kind of got into it there. And, and here we are 26 years later. Uh, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Ken. What I love in asking that question with all of our guests, and, and we'll talk to a wide variety of guests with the HR Works podcast, 
from CHROs, chief people officers to CEOs, really ranging a number of industries too, from recruiting to traditional HR. Everyone's got a different story, but they all have that central theme of a passion for people, which you clearly shared. And I just, I love hearing that. And it always is that like light bulb moment to say, yeah, this is why people have built careers in these industries that are built around people because they're passionate about them. Definitely, definitely. And I think HR is such an interesting um, role, right? As a department, as a function, as a a career, because the funny thing is that HR is about people, as you say. If you talk to most HR folks, when you ask them what their favorite piece of HR is, it's rarely the recruiting side, right? I mean, HR has so many different facets from OD and succession planning to employee engagement and, and working with, you know, org charts and developing, you know, kind of, kind of leadership um, programs as well, training and development programs. There's so many different facets to HR and the recruiting TA side is not always their favorite, but then you have people that are specifically in the TA world like myself, and I, I'm, I'm good at it. I really enjoy it. I would probably be, be terrible when it came to the compliance uh, and the other HR stuff that I just don't do well. Um, but it's, a, it's one of those roles where you can find very complementary people under the same umbrella, all pulling in the same direction, and it makes the organization just so much better. Yeah, that is great and really well said. And so interesting to see those advantages of having really strong talent acquisition strategies, really strong recruiting teams who can identify those great, talented individuals, bring them into an organization, and then really be the lifeblood of organizational success. You're on the ground floor of doing that and really helping propel organizations forward in that TA space. You're exactly right. And I think that's that's where I think a lot of a lot of CEOs kind of miss the boat a little bit, if you will, or it's just a matter of, of not having the the experience to work with a truly strategic and, and really, you know, um, highly uh, knowledgeable HR person. Um, and they don't realize how much value, how much benefit an HR executive can bring to the table. Right. Whenever you talk about executives in the C-suite, you know, and I, I'm amazed how often I'll be working with a client on a search on the recruiting side. I'll look at that company's website and you look at their executive team on the website and the HR leader is not included. And you're thinking that doesn't make any sense. I mean, of all the, the roles out there, HR should not only be at the table, they should really kind of be at the head of the table because without people and without engagement and, and long tenures and loyalty, doesn't matter how brilliant your technology or service happens to be, there's no one there to execute. Right. People have to be the center of your organization. Can't advocate for that more. They are your organization through and through. We're certainly hearing more of the evolution of the HR individual in the C-suite, and it's great to see. Speaking of just what we've seen evolve over the last year, we've seen a lot change in the talent space, just in the talent market. Um, certainly been a tumultuous start to 2023, <laughs> right? We had the headlines dominated by layoffs, especially in the tech industry. Now that we're having this conversation in summer of 2023, where are we now? How would you describe the state of talent acquisition and hiring in the current market? It's, it's a really good topic. And I, I, I touch on this probably three or four times a day with different uh, you know, executive leaders that I talk to. And I always, I always answer by saying, well, it, it depends on what you're comparing it to. Right? So here we are now, like you said, summer of 2023. So compared to hiring and what was happening in 2019, it's better for sure. Right? It's a heck of a lot better than the, the crazy trough that we had in 2020. It's not as good as it was in the crazy peak that we had in hiring in 2021. Right. So it's really kind of settled into more of a normal cadence, a normal pace. And honestly, even as you mentioned before, even with all the headlines about all the big tech companies and and gig organizations and fintech that are laying off, the majority of those companies, even after those restructuring and downsizing, they're still, by and large, going to have a higher headcount 
than what they had in 2019 pre-COVID. So if you if you take out the blip to the downside in 2020, take out the blip to the upside in 21, the overall trend line is still going in the right direction, you know, by and large, not everybody, yeah. by and large it is. Then you have companies like Twitter, now called X, right, um, which went from 8,000 employees down to 1,000. And now they have a new CEO and they're starting to rebuild. So that's a dramatic you know, um, uh, example you know, of a company cutting back dramatically. But most companies are doing pretty well. We, we tend to work in the, in the middle market. So companies that revenue is about 15 million to about a billion, kind of a big range, but covers the middle market, right? And the, the, the vast majority of those companies, if they did some layoffs, it was very, very minimal. Some of them had hiring freezes, but many of them are still hiring. Not at the crazy pace that they did in 2021. They're a little bit more selective and discerning as far as what roles they bring on. But the majority of our searches with our clients on the recruiting side is A, net new headcount. So it's companies adding. And B, it's those middle market companies that are really continuing to expand and look for that great talent. That's really interesting. Yeah, it seems as if the dust is sort of settling off of that, that initial shakeup at the start of the year. As you mentioned, as teams, as organizations realized, okay, they expanded too quickly in 2021 and had to kind of dial it back down to where, as you're saying now, things have kind of normalized, which is great to see. But as we're, again, talking about that big wave of layoffs that we saw at the end of 2022 and early 2023, it brought a lot of talent into the marketplace, which for hiring teams looking for that new top talent, there's now a big wave of talent that is out there and available to acquire, to bring in your organization and become noticeably better. For those organizations, one thing that doesn't get talked about maybe enough is the idea of employment brand. And I wanted to bring you on today to delve into that and understand the value of employment brand to set organizations apart from their competition in this highly competitive market where there's great talent out there. Why don't we dig in there? Sure, Can you sure. start us off and explain what is an employment brand and why should that be a major focus for hiring teams, HR teams, and the C-suite of organizations in 2023? Yeah, it's a really good topic. And I'm, I'm always, I've been doing this for 26 years in the recruiting side. And, and even today in 2023, companies are not as, as aware of, right, or as focused on their employment brand as they are on the brand for their product or their service. Everybody you know, knows this company is doing ABC or providing the service, whatever it is. But when it comes to the internal brand, right, you know, companies are not really thinking much about it. And you have websites these days like uh, The Vault or like Glassdoor, of course. And just as you would give a, you know, a five-star rating for an Airbnb that you loved or for an Uber ride that you love, right, these are sites that are ha- asking employees, current and past, asking employees to rate their organizations. And that's your employment brand. That's kind of where it starts is what are people saying about you, right? But it's important because, you know, you you need to, there's not not really a right or a wrong type of employment brand. What's right or wrong is whether or not you own it and whether you really are, have have the self-awareness to really kind of say, okay, we are this kind of organization. We should hire these kinds of people to support that, that structure and that kind of dynamic. Great example, if you're, if you're a pre-IPO company and you're hard charging, you've got a lot going on with SEC reporting coming up and trying to really make sure your company is packaged up and looking good before the roadshow and you go on the, on the IPO roadshow, you know, you're not going to hire people that want to work only you know, 35, 40 hours a week. You just can't, yeah. right? You're going to be a hard charging 60 hour a week job. There's going to be a great payoff in the end for all those employees, but you've got to own that employment brand. 
And if you're working six days a week, okay, that then maybe that's that's fine. Not every employee is going to be open to that, especially these days. But regardless, as long as you are aware of that brand and and how you are how you operate as an organization, that's going to allow you to align your talent acquisition strategy with who you are as an organization, right? Likewise, if you're a company that you know you work four days a week, you you have the the four day work week, right? And you still do a lot, but you have four you know four ten hour days. That's also not for everybody. Some folks might say, "Oh, that sounds great! What a what a vacation! I get a three day weekend every single week. That's fantastic." But you got to remember, you're working four ten hour days. Right. You're not working fewer hours overall. It's just a different configuration. And again, if somebody has childcare issues, or they're they're caring for elderly parents, or whatever it might be, that four, that those four ten hour intense days may not work for their schedule. So again, part of your employment brand: who are you? How do you operate? And are you aligning your TA, your talent acquisition strategy? with who you are as an organization. Yeah, it really makes organizations unique. And we talk so often about corporate culture and how no two organizations have the same culture. They're all going to be unique in their own way. It's the same with an employment brand. There's no two brands that are going to be the same, but I think it's organizations being honest with themselves, being true to who they are and putting that out in front. and, And But being aware of that, I think, is such a crucial piece as well. Understanding who you are as you put that out in the marketplace and attract talent. You want the right people who are happy, who are engaged, and who are the right fit for what makes your organization go. No, exactly right. And I think, you know, companies don't realize, especially in today's, you know, world of social media and everybody, there, there are there are no taboos in terms of what you share. Everything from how your experience is, how your last, you know, review was, how is your boss treating you, you know, how is your organization responding to all those different social issues out there? I mean, Disney's a great idea, a great example of that, but there's a lot of other ones also. Um, and also compensation. I mean, who would have thought even 10 years ago, who would have thought that you could go on Glassdoor or wherever and figure out the kind of the general salary levels and compensation and bonus levels across the board of different employees? Transparency is key. Whether whether we as CEOs like it or not, it's here. It's not going away. We can't fight it. We can't you know hide in the closet and say it's not it doesn't exist. It's there. And you've got to get out in front of that message. And developing your employment brand internally, again, back to the the huge value that a good, strong HR leader brings to the organization, they are the ones that are helping to build out and then also kind of market and share the messaging around that company's employment brand. Right. Right. So HR has a huge, a huge stake and a huge role in that overall strategy. I love that you touched on the pay piece, Ken. And there's almost an advantage. Maybe this is me being the optimist here. There's an advantage with pay transparency for organizations as well. It definitely creates a challenge where you now are having to compare against your competitors and see how you match up. Not everyone can compete at the salary level, but that creates an opportunity for organizations, for their HR leaders to say, okay, how else can we be competitive? What else can we do to counterbalance maybe if we can't compete on the salary side to make that employee experience attractive? Exactly right. And that's back to, you know, your a, a big component of your employment brand is, you know, what is your pay scale? Are you paying, you know, at mid-range for the market? Are you in the upper quartile, the lower quartile? None of those things are right or wrong or good or bad in and of themselves. It's what are you doing to complement that? If you are paying, let's say, midpoint and you're a high tech company and you're trying to hire the best and the brightest, you know, tech developers out there and you're only paying midpoint. Okay, you're gonna ha- you're gonna be at, at a bit of a disadvantage, but there may be other aspects of your employment brand of your organization, right? That will make up for that, and the the excitement around the the very you know kind of progressive and cutting edge projects that you're working on, or the fact that you do have a four day work week, right? And that's fantastic. 
Uh, it's not just about foosball tables and having a masseuse on the site like it was back in the you know in the late uh, you know 2010s, but it's it is about you know that camaraderie, that collaboration, that that you know um, engagement of employees there as well. That's all that all goes into and feeds your employment brand and transparency. Like I said, it's there. So you as a CEO and the head of HR better get in front of that messaging and own up to it because if you don't, you know it's gonna it's gonna get out of control very quickly. And then you're having to play, you know, defense, and that's not a good place to be. No, of course not. So, Ken, what are some of those other factors that play into employment brand? Pay, obviously, is a major one. But are there any other factors that really move the needle and can define an employment brand? Yeah, there are. I think, um, you know, a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, as far as kind of career mobility, right? There, I mean, my company, for example, we're, we're seven employees. We're, we're pretty small. I can't offer an awful lot of upward mobility and, and those kinds of things to my team. But what I can offer is, you know, we can, we can provide, you know, higher titles for sure. And back to transparency, I allow my entire team to see exactly what's going on in my organization. Financials, good and bad, what's happening with bonuses, what's happening with expenses, you know, working on, on a new marketing campaign might cost us a certain amount of money. So they are getting exposure to running a business, even though their, you know, quote unquote job title doesn't say that they're in charge of the business itself. So there are those kind of things that you can do to complement that uh, as an employment brand uh, from that perspective. So that upper mobility is one thing. If you are a larger organization and you're known for moving people through, maybe they, they come in as an intern, they move into kind of a, an associate role, then a, then a director role, whatever that path might be, talking that up, right? And really allowing that, that career mobility and that career pathing, as we call it, to be part of that employment brand Talk about it, you know, kind of explain what it is and use that to your advantage to attract you know, the best and the brightest also. That's a big piece. Um, another piece is DEI. We've all talked about that, you know, a lot over the last several years, especially since George Floyd in 2020. Uh, it's finally brought that to the forefront in a way that I think is more meaningful, more than I've seen in my 26 years of recruiting. Sure. And it's got a lot more staying power. It's not just kind of the latest and greatest trend in fat. It's going to come and go. Um, and DEI itself is certainly evolving, right? But if you have an organization where there are, you know, there, there's more representation among people of color or female or, you know, neurodivergent uh, employees or, you know, folks that are older, there's a lot of different facets to diversity. It's not just based on ethnicity. And if you have that, hopefully you have that and you're able to talk about it and, 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 and um, kind of uh, use it to your advantage in terms of here's what we're all about. We believe in diversity. Uh, my, the expression I always use is diversity of thought, right? Because if you have everybody in your company cut from the same cloth, they all come from IBM or Xerox, they all went to Stanford, nothing against those organizations or that school, but you all kind of get into this group think. Yeah. Because you're all coming to whatever situation it might be with that same mindset, that same foundation. If instead you have a diverse organization, again, age, you know, the way that you think, your, your body chemistry, all those kind of things, um, you're going to have a much better chance of truly innovating and, de and developing solutions to problems that are going to you know, far surpass what your competition is doing. Yeah, that's great. And we're looking at different ways to create the employee experience. And it doesn't just have to be salary. Right. It can, again, be reward programs understanding what rewarding could be that could be rewarding somebody in their career giving them advancement opportunities development opportunities creating a culture that you're happy to work in happy to show up to every day that can be just as rewarding sometimes as the salary piece and as defining for an organization and their employment brand 
Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that obviously it wasn't part of the conversation at all pre-COVID, but it's a, it's one of the first two things that we talk about nowadays um, is where am I physically going to be expected to work? Yeah. Am I going to have to come to the office and suit up and be in this building, you know, five days a week from nine to five or nine to six? Um, am I going to be at home all the time? And I've got to figure out how to make that work with my home dynamic, right? The physicality of my home office, or is it hybrid? And I'll tell you that, you know, on the search side, even at the executive C-suite level where we do a lot of work, you know, people, it's harder to find candidates that are willing to come into the office five days a week, especially if, if they're in roles where, you know, a lot of their role doesn't need to be in person, right? You know, if you're managing a team or it's a turnaround situation or those kinds of things, yeah, you need to make sure that you're there to establish that credibility and to be sure you have that physical presence to improve things or a pre-IPO, as I mentioned before, you've got to have that collaboration. But there's an awful lot of roles out there. You know, I think the last estimate I saw was about 47% of jobs across you know, all function or across all industries, you know, have has some degree of, of remote ability, right? Where you can work remotely uh, and still be effective. Um, and so that's again part of your employment brand. You know, are you hybrid? Are you 100% at home? Are you not? You know, my company is 16 years old. I started the company in 2007, as you mentioned, and we've been 100% remote since day one. Wow. The reason for me is that when at that point, 16 years ago, my wife was going back to work. She's a marriage and family therapist. We had two young kids at the time, and I wanted to figure out if we if we could avoid it, let's avoid the cost of having a nanny take care of our kids. You know, at the beginning and end of the day. And so I said, well, I'll just work from home when I start my company. We'll see how it goes. No big deal. She was going to be in an office. And so she took care of the mornings. I took care of the afternoons and dinner and homework. And it worked out great. And over the years, not only did I enjoy that, that became part of our employment brand. And all the folks that I've hired since then, they all happen to be women. I'm the only man on the team. But everybody loved the idea of being able to work remotely. You know, I'm a, I'm a night person. I get a lot of my my creativity done from 9 p.m. until midnight. I'm up late every single night, um, and I'm not I'm not not all that great at 6 a.m. So I'm glad this wasn't too early of a of a interview today. Um, but some of my team members are the opposite. They love mornings, and I say, you know, I'm I'm focused around the results, not around activity. So our employment brand is not only transparency, but also autonomy and empowerment. Right. right. So and you, you can be a company of two people or a company of, you know, 20,000. And those two things can still be a very big part of your employment brand. Do you trust the people that you hired to do the job that you hired them for? And are you going to empower them and allow them to actually do it? Are there going to be transparency there as well? Is it going to be in the office or is it going to be at home? So all those little pieces that you might not think are part of your brand, that's what makes up your overall employment brand. And companies need to really just kind of be more aware of that. Wow, I love that, Ken. Let me ask this. How aware are organizations of their employment brand? Or do you <laughs> feel that most organizations maybe think they're something they're not? Wow, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great conversation. Um, I think if I had, a, if I'm thinking of the clients that we work with, and I would say it's probably half and half, right? And, I'll, and we'll ask clients, you know, what, what do you think of your, of your um, you know, ratings on Glassdoor? And we always check the Glassdoor ratings before we decide to work with the company. And I'd say half would, I'd say about a quarter of them are well aware. A quarter of them have never even heard of Glassdoor, right? Uh, and, the, and the other half is probably a mixture of, of that, if you will. So I'd, I'd say it's getting better. And again, because of that transparency, because of so, social media, um, because of Gen Z now being a pretty active part of the workforce as well, and they're even more transparent and more digitally native than anybody else. I think because of those things, companies are becoming more aware of their employment brand for sure. And we try to help 
point that out and say, here's the situation. You know, another thing you can look at also for um, kind of flipping it to the, the candidate side, if a, if a candidate is thinking about joining a company, right, they can look at LinkedIn and very easily get a feel for what the average tenures are among people either in the department where they want to get hired or in the company as a whole. And companies need to be aware of the fact that on LinkedIn, you're showcasing where you're working, what your role was, what you're doing, but also how long have you been there, right? Right. If there's a lot of people in the marketing team that have been there for six to nine to 12 months and there's this constant churn, you know, me as a candidate looking at that company, I'm thinking, what's going on? Why can't they keep people there very long? So again, another piece of your employment brand that companies need to be aware of. And it's very easy to figure that out. That's not rocket science to look at LinkedIn. It's not just pay transparency right now. It's cultural transparency. You can pretty quickly see what a company is, who they are, what they represent. Many organizations put it on their homepage. They're about the about us section is pretty prominent on most organizations' pages, but yeah. right down to their LinkedIn, and you can look at the metrics to tell you what an organization represents, what they are about. Exactly, it's a different world right now where again teams need to be proactive and really think about their brand. No, you're exactly right, and I think you know it's it's amazing. People, a lot of, a lot of companies will say, "Well, I'm not sure how we can really change or control our employment brand." And one simple thing that I'm still amazed to this day that I see, you go on companies' websites and even you know pretty sizable companies that are, are powerhouses in their particular industry, and you look at the website, there's not even a careers page. Right. Right. I mean, you, you might find it, it's not, it's not across the top as the regular toolbar. It might be buried at the very bottom at the footer, right? But you think if you're so proud of your team, how innovative they are and you know, creating this amazing technology or whatever it might be, and you're not talking at all about the people that are making those creations, you know, you're really missing the boat. So a real simple thing to do is just add a career section, uh, you know, a, a page to your website and have some testimonials there. They don't have to be really fancy corporate professional videos. If you can do that, you know, all the better, definitely. But have some testimonials, some quotes from employees, why they work there. Um, anybody who goes to that website is going to look up those employees, you know, on LinkedIn. And once again, they're going to see their tenure. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to incorporate that that brand and and again control the message. Be proud of who you are and and really kind of showcase that. But you can do it in a very inexpensive, very easy way with a simple careers page, you know, on your website. That's a simple takeaway for our audience out there to think about and make sure that they're really putting themselves in the right position to attract top talent. You want to make it easy for top talent to find those opportunities and see how great it is to join your company. And that's that's a really great takeaway just for our audience out there. Now, Ken, you had mentioned the shift in hybrid, remote, or fully in office and really how that is such a defining factor of organizations right now. Yeah. Have you seen organizations shift their stance from saying, hey, we're going to be fully in office coming back? to seeing the opportunity to attract better talent by walking that back to say, hey, you know what, maybe we need to be more hybrid. Have you seen that in the marketplace? Definitely. No, for sure. And honestly, the, the media kind of drives me crazy because the media makes it sound like it's binary. Right. Either everybody's in the office or everybody is at home and there's nothing in between whenever they report these numbers, which drives me nuts because the vast majority of the companies that we work with, and again, we're in that mid-market section, but even the large companies that we work with, most have some kind of a hybrid, Right. And I, I, my, my sense for, for where things are right now, and I think where it's going to settle out, even if we have this conversation, you know, one or two years from now, um, you know, is that about 20 to 25% of companies will always be 100% remote, like my organization. There's no reason for me to all of a sudden get an office, right? So that's, let's say, you know, a fifth to a quarter of the companies. And about the same number, right, will be 100% in office. 
for whatever reason, they're, they're a manufacturing company, you know, Kia and Hyundai are our you know, two largest clients. And even they have a hybrid approach, but they're you know, obviously heavily manufacturing. So about a, you know, a fifth to a quarter of companies will be 100% in the office. But the rest of the companies out there, you know, to call it 50 to 60%, they're going to have some kind of a hybrid. And you know, whether it's one day in the office and I mean, one day at home, four days in the office, or the opposite, right? And you're mainly at home. That hybrid approach, that that willingness to be flexible, to your point, is going to allow them to cast a much wider net, so they can attract talent from anywhere, not just in their own backyard. And it's going to allow them to also attract more people that are looking for that kind of flexibility, even the ability to have you know one day uh, uh, one day a week working from home. Even that flexibility is is a huge value, and I think that will and it should, and I think will even more so become part of companies' brands as well. It's still evolving. It hasn't settled quite yet, 100%. There's still some uncertainty, but that's where I see it going. The majority of companies, call it you know, 50, 60%, will have some kind of hybrid approach, and that's going to be a benefit for them long-term without question. Yeah, that is so great to hear. It's so interesting to watch that evolve in real time. As you said, I think media really jumped on those organizations that came out of the gate and said, no, we're fully back in office. I believe it was Netflix. Tesla certainly did that. Disney, to an extent, went back into office, I believe, four days a week. But you're losing the opportunity to attract some really great top talent right. because you've got employees or potential employees out there who are looking for remote only. And I think it'll be really interesting to see that play out, especially over the next couple of years, too, and see where it ultimately lands. I feel like it's going to be right in that middle, that middle ground of hybrid. And even within that, there's flexibility. Yeah. And I think it, it also, you know, honestly, it depends upon the makeup of your workforce. Again, back to owning your employment brand. If you are a company, like, for example, I went to a conference um, yesterday up in Orange County and there was a, a guy talking about his marketing uh, company and he has a very heavy, heavily weighted Gen Z workforce. So folks that are in their early to mid 20s. Right. And flexibility is important, but training and accountability, right, and being able to give real-time feedback, good or bad, you know, is super important for that generation, for anybody that's coming into a new, a new job. And I think, you know, if you're 100% remote, you do lose the ability to give that real-time feedback and to listen in on, on how your team is doing. So there is some loss there for sure. But with today's technology and all the tools out there, you can still sit on calls. You can still listen to what they're doing. You can have more regular you know, meetings and those kinds of things. So it's going to be a little more difficult, but it's still very doable. But again, depending upon the makeup of your organization, what your workforce is like, what kind of work you're doing, that's going to affect you know, whether you're one day a week in the office or whether you're four days a week in the office. That's going to affect that also. But you've, right. got, you've got to just own it. You've got to be aware of it. And you've got to own it and then you know, maximize it. And that goes back to understanding, defining what you want your employment brand to be, and then really building off of that. I think that all kind of brings it full circle. Now, Ken, are there any red flags that you see with certain organizations where it's like, okay, that's a brand killer? Uh, (laughs) Is there anything out there that, that we can call out for our audience? Yeah, well, I think going back to LinkedIn is a big is a big piece of that. Looking at the average tenures and getting a feel for are people churning over again and again. That's that's a, a pretty obvious piece and, and pretty easy to see. And the same with Glassdoor. Glassdoor, you got to take it with a, a you know grain of salt. Certainly, um, there tends to be people that you know are disgruntled and complain a little bit more than the average site. I get that, but you're I mean there are still a good number of insightful comments there to the positive and negative side. So also looking at that uh, without question as well. Uh, and then, you know, when I when I talk to a company, right, and they say, hey, Ken, we need to hire a new VP of sales. 
and we'll get into our discovery call and why is the job open? What's the responsibilities? All those pieces. If they say to me, and you'd be surprised at how often they say this without me even prompting, oh God, Ken, we've had three VPs of sales in, in the last 18 months and there's just no good talent out there. And I think to myself, three VPs of sales in the last 18 months, the only common denominator is you, <laughs> not the candidates, right? So something is not right with how they're onboarding or training or how they're hiring. Again, maybe they're hiring people that are misaligned with that employment brand and the person is doomed to fail from the beginning. So those kind of questions are, are really important also. And if you are a company that is turning over the same position you know, pretty frequently, Think about it, you know, take a step back and before you start to hire and just kind of plug that hole, figure out, okay, what's been missing? What's going, what's going wrong here, right? Um, and the flip side of that, I think, you know, one of the things I, I we, we're very big on, on tracking all of the source of our placement. So where do we get our candidates from? Where do our clients come from? And that's a good idea. It's, it's a big help for me to understand where I should spend my efforts and how my team should be recruiting also, kind of what, what kinds of, of sources are most effective. I'm amazed at how few companies do that for themselves, right? They, they will track you know, the, the, the profit margins of product A versus product B or this service and that service. They'll track you know, the cost of goods sold. They'll track everything, but they won't track where their good people come from, which I think right. is, you're missing the boat. I mean, if you have superstars, A, you should be talking to them and engaging them on a regular basis. B, talk to them about you know, what attracted them to the company in the first place and see where the heck did they come from, right? <laughs> I mean, did they come from a LinkedIn post? Did they come from an internal employee referral? Was it um, somebody that maybe was an employee 10 years ago and then did what we call a boomerang and came back to the company and now they're a superstar? You know, it doesn't matter where they come from, but get your, he get your head and your arms around where are those good people coming from? And let's try to find more people from those same places and duplicate these other superstars. So those are some simple things that it doesn't take a huge, you know, um, consulting program or, you know, months and months and months of, of technology, you know, uh, engagement. You can do that relatively simply if you have a decent applicant tracking system or even just an Excel spreadsheet for that matter. But, you know, look at those and don't look at just kind of where is someone coming from in terms of what is what are they costing me in terms of their salary? But what is the source of that great superstar? Let's go out there and find more. Yeah, it's looking internally and just using your internal resources to learn so much about what you can do better and also what you're doing really well and just double down on that. Exactly. And I mean, another, another thing I would say also is that and this, this speaks to two of your questions, but in terms of, you know, red flags, but also getting good people, right? An employee referral program is so key, right? If you are paying a bonus and, you know, paying a bonus to an employee of even, let's say, three or four thousand dollars is a heck of a lot cheaper than coming to me and paying my fee to go out there and find people. Right. Um, so I, I always highly recommend that companies institute an employee referral program. And you can do a different tiers, different levels, those kinds of things. But if you are, if you have a program in place and you're rarely getting any employee referrals, that's a red flag. If people are not proud enough or excited enough about their own employer to suggest their friends to come in and work there, something something's wrong, right? Yeah, and, and you're being advocates. Yeah, exactly. On the flip side, if you have the, the the kind of the best in class companies out there, they're getting forty to fifty percent of their hires strictly from employee referrals. That's phenomenal. If half of your team is coming to you, A, they're very strong. B, they're already kind of quasi-vetted by the existing employee. That employee wouldn't refer their friend or their family if they didn't think it was going to be a good fit, right? 
And that's a great program to put in place. It doesn't cost you that much money. It also is part of your employment brand. You can talk about that when you're interviewing potential sure. new hires, right? Um, and it just shows that you are engaged with your employees and you, again, you empower and you entrust them to bring other folks into the organization. Yeah, a successful referral program. I and mean, what, what a great sign for an organization in the health of their employment brand when you could see that not only are your employees happy, but they want other people to come with them to also be happy and, and sharing with that. So that's great. And what I love there, Ken, in that response, and this is how I know I'm talking to the practical optimist, <laughs> is that we asked about red flags and you already gave our audience just some great takeaways and ways to do it better. Uh, so thank you for that, Ken. That's great. So as we just kind of wrap up talking about talent acquisition, what are you excited about going forward in the talent acquisition and recruiting world? Yeah, so there are a couple a couple of trends out there. So first of all, you know, I'll, I'll talk. I'll get to the AI thing in a moment. Let's let me kind of table that for a second. Yeah. Be, before that, though, I think there's finally a a realization, right, that the way that we've recruited over the last literally hundred years needs to change. Right. Everything as simple as do you really need a degree? I mean, the, the default job description is you, know, you need a degree in whatever it is and five years of experience or whatever that might be. And there's really little thought put into a job description. Right. I mean, how often I, I come to a client and they, they hire us to, to find a new CMO or president, whatever. And, you know, they're pulling out the job description and dusting it off from five or 10 years ago, barely making any changes to it and just kind of, again, plug and play. And so we spend a lot of time in our discovery calls with our clients before we start to recruit to really pull out more information about the organization and add that into the job description. So I think there's a, a, a finally a realization that you don't have to have a college degree for every job. Certainly some jobs you do, but not every job. And there's a commensurate amount of experience that someone can bring to the table that's going to be fantastic. And in some cases, better than a college degree because they got that experience in real time on the ground out at a, at a competitor company. So that's a big piece there. I think I also that. looking at, again, um, back to my, my comment earlier about diversity, you know, uh, job descriptions need to change. Job descriptions are largely written for white males and language that we don't even realize is turning other people off is starting to now be removed. You know, words like aggressive or bold or hard driving, um, those kinds of things, or even college degree. Those are all you know, phrases that A, will, will typically turn off female candidates and all the research is out there. And it's actually in my book, we talk about that fact that you know, a lot of research shows that a, a, a female candidate is less likely to apply to a job with that kind of terminology. If you look at the, the, the degrees as well, you know, there are more degreed white males than there are of most minorities. So again, if someone you know, is, is you know, African-American or Hispanic or what, what have you, and they don't have a degree and they see that in the job description, they may have all the skills, but they're lacking that, that, that uh, degree. And so they don't even bother applying to the job. What a missed opportunity. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's a missed opportunity that I think has just been embedded in us for so many years. And so that's a great trend that I'm seeing out there for sure. Uh, and I think, again, because, you know, because of, of companies going to a hybrid, same kind of thing as far as looking at people that are in a, in, a, in a broader geographic space, that's also very helpful from that perspective. And I think that's something that's very exciting around talent acquisition to, to look at a, a bigger pool of candidates overall. So back to the AI piece, right? I, in my opinion, you know, it's, it's kind of a cop out, but I think the jury is still out. There are lots of pros and lots of cons with AI. Um, and I think as, as is the cliche out there, you know, it's, you know, bad data in, bad data out. Same kind of thing. If you're relying on an, on an algorithm, on AI, to write a job description, 
right? And all that AI, whether it's chat GPT or anything else, all it's doing is pulling from the millions of other job descriptions out in the universe, right, on in the internet um, that have already been written. If all of that source material is already biased, unconsciously, but still biased, then the new job description that you're now writing through AI is also going to have those same embedded biases, right? So there's going to have to be some massaging of that for sure. But I do think that the, the pros are, you know, AI can make things more efficient as far as the sourcing goes, as long as managers and, and HR leaders are doing a better job of really understanding what does the job require, not not what did the, the, the job description from 10 years ago require, what does the job require today? And pulling that out and then entering all that, in, incorporating all of that data and that real-time information into the request that you put into ChatGPT to write you a job description or to source talent or to find you the best candidates from ABC, you know, competitor. As long as that time is being spent on the front end to get the right data in, I think AI can be very powerful long-term as well. Yeah, it's using AI as a tool. That's how I look at it. Um, and, and you hope that more and more professionals look at it that way as well. It's a tool to make things faster, but by no means should the human element be pulled out of it. And to your point as well, Ken, you got to be honest with yourself too about what you actually need out of a candidate for the position and make sure that's factoring in. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, you know, AI, there's, there was a great article, I think, in, in Harvard Business Review a couple months ago talking about how AI is not going to replace humans. It'll replace some jobs, certainly. I'm not, I'm not a Pollyanna here. I am the, uh, the practical side of my practical optimism, right? But at the same time, it's going to supplement and also augment in a positive way the, the capabilities and also the output from humans, right? We can do a better job in the creative strategic mindset and that, that part of whatever job we're doing if an algorithm and AI can help us with more of the blocking and tackling. Um, and, right. you know, for example, if I, if I ask AI to, to write me a, a job description, I'll take that and 70% of it will be great. The other 30% has to be changed and massaged. So the human element made the AI element better and vice versa. Yeah, I could not say that better. So Ken, thank you for that. That's really gives us a lot that we can look forward to in the world of recruiting and love having that AI conversation too. Cause again, that is one that we still have not figured out and we'll be watching very closely at, at all levels in the industry. So thank you for that, Ken. So again, we're here with Ken Schmidt, CEO and founder of Turning Point Executive Search. Now, Ken, in your introduction, I mentioned that you had just recently released the book, The Practical Optimist, An Entrepreneurial Journey Through Life's Turning Points. Uh, you also host a podcast, The Practical Optimist. If you don't mind, why don't you share some of that information with our audience? Anything more you want them to know about the book, where they can find it, the podcast, the floor is yours. Feel free to plug anything you've got going on there. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the book was just, you know, a, a kind of a, a labor of love. My, It's a bit of an homage to my parents as well, who, again, as I mentioned, raised me as entrepreneurs themselves. And so it kind of is, it's in my DNA. The practical side comes from my mom. Optimism side comes from my dad. And I just talk a lot about how you have to have that balance, right? Transparency and balance is, as you can tell, a big part, a big theme of who I am. And the book talks about that. And it's, you know, as a small business owner, it talks a lot about the pros and cons and ups and downs of being a small business owner. It's not all, you know, rainbows and kittens by any stretch, but it's a lot of fun and it's well worth all the work. Uh, we're actually releasing the audio book as well coming up in September of 2023. A lot of folks just like to listen versus read. Um, so it'll be available video, via audiobook as well. And then we decided to launch our podcast back in January of this year in 2023. Um, as kind of a supplement to really augment the book as well. And to be able to speak in real time, you know, we, we have new episodes every two weeks, you know, every other Monday, in real time about the things that I also talk about in the book. 
leadership, mentorship? How do you hire more effectively, right? What's the journey of a lot of entrepreneurs out there? Very few people have a, a straight up linear career. Most of the time it's jagged, myself included. And learning about the ups and downs and lessons learned along the way, good and bad decisions made. So the podcast really talks about that quite a bit as well. Uh, we're going to be changing the name of the podcast, uh, come up with our second season. It'll move from the practical optimist to leadership happens. Uh, that'll be the new name, but uh, very similar conversation. And I, I invite your your listeners to uh, to check it out. Ah, fantastic. Where can we send them to learn more, either to find the book or learn more about your podcast? Yeah, the, the two best places for us are LinkedIn. I'm very active in LinkedIn. I've got a lot of followers there and I just love engaging on LinkedIn. So, you know, Ken Schmidt with two T's at the end, there's no D, which is a little bit different, uh, but Ken Schmidt there on LinkedIn. And then our website as well, it's just turningpointrecruiting.com. And the book is there, the podcast is there. We, we're really big believers, kind of like yourself, Josh, really big believers in sharing content and developing you know, new content and getting it out there to, to our listeners, uh, our readers, and also our, our clients. And so we have a lot of great resources and information, infographics and research and compensation guides that's all found on our Turning Point website as well. Uh, so that's, that should be a good resource for, for your listeners. Thank you for all that, Ken. We'll share all those links on our post on hrdailyadvisor.com. So we'll certainly make it accessible for our audience out there too to find you. Now, Ken, you mentioned leadership. And again, that's one of your big passions here. So as we close out, I've got a few more questions for you that are more personal and about your inspiration and what you've learned. So what's something you've learned over the past year that you feel has made you a better leader? Yeah, oh gosh, there's so many. I'm I'm constantly learning something about myself daily. So let me let me just start by saying that. I, I would say the biggest thing, honestly, is it, it seems simple and kind of cliche, but be yourself. You know, I'm I'm kind of goofy. Like I said, I'm very transparent. You know, sarcasm and humor is a big part of my life and my team's life as well. And you know, incorporating that into our employment brand is really important. And you know, to the point of of different posts that we put out there, we have learned over the last year, especially that even though LinkedIn is a professional setting, it's not Facebook, it's not Twitter or X or whatever. Um, you know, it is professional. People still want to see the human behind the CEO title, right? And the the posts that we have shared that have done the best, including one that I actually I I, I just celebrated my 16th you know, anniversary as a as a CEO as a business owner. And also my 31st anniversary, you know, as, as a married man, right? My wife and I just celebrated 31 years. Thank you. Thank you. I shared a post. I didn't think much of it. I didn't expect a lot out of it. I shared a post on LinkedIn that said, here are the top five lessons I've learned in my life. It's amazing how similar they are, whether it's for your company as a leader or in a marriage, right? Um, things like, you know, there's no place for ego. Uh, it's, it's all about trust. Without trust, you have nothing, right? It's okay to ask for help. So things that are relevant in, in both situations. And we posted that and it was very, very vulnerable. It was the human side of the CEO title and it's gone viral. And now we have over 26,000 views, you know, 50 some odd comments, people just sharing their own thoughts as well. So I've learned that being vulnerable is okay and almost expected. And it really does help you stand out. Ah, that's great. Speaking of sharing, I also like to share with our audience some great advice from our guests, something that you might have leaned on throughout your career that has really helped you succeed that you can pay forward. So do you have anything out there, uh, any piece of wisdom that you've leaned on that you could pay forward? Yeah, for me, you know, I, I got this advice from a mentor of mine. Um, I've worked at you know several different you know, search firms and recruiting firms over the years. And one of my biggest mentors, Ron Jervis, who was at Hydrogen Struggles, I worked for him and he, he said, you know, Ken, no matter what you do, whether you stay in, in recruiting or whatever it might be, you know, build a niche for yourself. 
don't try to be all things to all people, right? And it's a very simple thing and it seems very commonsensical, but I'm amazed at how often you see organizations or I go to a networking event and I meet an attorney or a CPA or another recruiter and you ask them to, to tell me about what you do and they use such generic language and they're trying to open the door to every possible you know, customer or client out there that they wind up really diluting their brand and you don't really know what niche to put them in. And so, so to that point, back in 2012, before when I started the company in 07, we were just doing accounting and finance and a little bit of operations recruiting. I realized that my niche and my focus and my passion um, was more around sales and marketing. So I actually did a complete rebrand with the company, took the advice of my mentor, Ron, and built that niche and didn't try to be everything to everybody anymore. And so instead, we now focus on sales and marketing operations and C-suite. We no longer do accounting recruiting at all. Yeah, to be really good and really focused in on those things that you're passionate about and let those succeed. That's great. Right. Yeah. And there's just and be, being okay with saying no to some potential business and being okay with saying, you know what, this is not for me. Let me refer you to somebody else. That's the best way to go. You don't have to try to do everything under the sun. So know what you know, you know, really own that back to your employment brand, do a great job with those few things and don't try to do it all. And this is how I know you are a podcast host, Ken. You brought that full circle back into employment brand. So well done. <laughs> Thank you for that. So again, here with Ken Schmidt, CEO and founder of Turning Point Executive Search. Now, Ken, we've got one bonus question that I throw in, um, and I don't prep my, my guests with this ahead of time because I really want it to be genuine. And it's all about motivation and inspiration. So when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, what's the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Yeah, well, actually, you, you just used the word that I'm, I would use also. It's inspiration. It's, it's, in fact, I actually toyed with my, my book title being you know, inspiration. If I can have a day where I am inspiring somebody else to be better at who they are, then I've had a good day. It could be you know, another father in, in terms of you know, parenting. It could be a, a, a husband in terms of being a good spouse. You know, as, a, as a CEO running my business, as a mentor leader for my team, um, all these things that I can do, and even people that I've worked with in the past that I that I mentor and support, if I can inspire somebody somehow, some way in the course of my day to get better at their craft, whatever that craft is, then that's that is a, a highly successful day in my book. That is that passion for people. How's that for bringing it full circle? I love it. Well, well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So again, Ken Schmidt, CEO and founder of Turning Point Executive Search. Ken, thank you so much for joining the HR Works podcast today. It was great chatting with you for our time today. Great just learning more about the importance of employment brand and really just the trends we're seeing in recruiting and talent acquisition. But again, I just love learning so much from you in this time here. I um, hope we can keep the conversation going in future episodes. We'll definitely have to get a part two on the books. But uh, thanks again for this and looking forward to more. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right. Likewise. Thanks, Ken. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.